0: Well, hey there, neighbor. And I want to say hey there to all of our people watching online. Welcome to our first streaming live service from our new Ross campus. Good morning. Thanks for being here with us. I really fill this sweater out, y'all. Um, I bought this online instead of 2X. Uh, I think it's a 2X for a smaller 2X, so it's fine. We're glad you're here with us this morning. Now, when my wife Pam and I got married... We lived over on the west side of Cincinnati. We lived in a place called Delhi Township. You guys might know Delhi. you might be from Del High. probably not, because people who live in Delhi don't normally leave Delhi. They live their whole lives there. So um, we lived there, though, um, and she lived there before we even got married, uh, And so when we met, she, I moved in with her, but she lived there. Being from Oxford, Ross area, my wife is, and me growing up in the best state in the country, Kentucky, um, we were outsiders. And this was a general rule of thumb for many of the people who lived in Delhi. They were outsiders. But here's the truth. That didn't change how our neighbors treated us. Before I moved in, actually, Pam had this situation where she had a tree that fell down as a part of a storm. And so being a single woman, she went to work thinking, how am I going to deal with this? What's going to be the process for cleaning this up? Only to come home and find that her neighbor across the street had already cut it down, cleaned it up, and removed it. She had a moment where her neighbor treated her well. And then later on, as I moved in and got to know her neighbors, we invited these people to our wedding. We invited people when our when our first son Sam was born, they cared for us. They gave us gifts. They they brought food for us during that time. These were people who you wanted to have as a neighbor. Now we're kicking off an eight-week series here where we'll dive into the idea of what being a neighbor is all about. Because here's the reality of our current time. We've somewhat forgotten what being a neighbor really means. In 2020, we were told what? Stay away from other people. Social distance. Wear a mask. That was the things we were told to do. And as a result, our neighborly muscles that we've had built up over years, they atrophied. They got weaker. They got less defined because we stopped practicing being a good neighbor. And it's showing when we look around. When you look around, you can see that instead of seeing care and support for other people, a lot of times what we often see is anger and fighting. And it's showing. I mean, think about this: instead of conversation, we have arguments. Instead of generosity, we've got greed and jealousy. We have become a people that looks out only for ourselves, our opinions, our thoughts, our comfort, our needs. Now, we oftentimes, we put signs in our yards, right? Have you ever seen those signs that people have in their yards? Sometimes it's something like, happy 40th birthday, right? Like, this was a huge thing during 2020, these card in my yard things where they put up these signs in your yards, you'd have signs in your yards, and some of you put signs up to say, hey, my kid's an honor student, or my kid's graduating, or my kid's in this school or that school. Some of you put up signs to say, I believe in this social action, I believe in that thing, I voted for this person, or I voted for that person, or I'm going to vote for them. We even sometimes put signs in our yards that say, hey, I believe in Jesus. But do we ever put signs in our yard that say, I love you? I mean, think about the signs you've had in your yard in the past. What do these communicate to your neighbors about who you are and what you believe we definitely don't see signs that are in our yards that say, I love you regardless of the sign that you put in your yard. Why do we do that? Because it's Because we struggle with what it means to be a good neighbor. And the truth is, being a good neighbor means going deeper than a polite hello. That's today's big idea. It really means we're called to love our neighbors. Love your neighbor, right? We've all heard that phrase in one way or another. And it's not just a popular phrase in faith, right? It's everywhere. It's across cultures. It's across faiths. It's across history. The way we treat our neighbors is important because it says something about the way we would want to be treated. And the question I think we need to address today to start that conversation is, who is our neighbor? Our neighbor. Is it the person that lives next door to you? Is it the person who lives on the same street as you, in our town, in our schools? Maybe it's the person sitting here next to you today. Maybe for you, a neighbor is someone who looks and acts and votes and believes the same things that you do. And anyone who sets outside of these traits who doesn't necessarily fit into our definition of a neighbor. You see, some of us live where we live because we have carefully chosen to be around a certain set of people who look and act and be just like us. And so people we do not live by, we intentionally want to avoid because we don't want them to be our neighbor. People we think that we have very little in common with. And as a matter of fact, they may not only not just be our neighbors, but we actually see ourselves as a little bit better than them. And listen to me, if you feel these things, you're not alone. In Bible history, the Jewish people were not a people who loved their neighbor. They did not generally love their neighbor. For the most part, their history actually involved loving only those in their culture and faith that was the same to them. And they did not care for, and they tried to even destroy anyone who would challenge that faith. Now, in the early part of their history, God, he actually sanctioned some of this, right? He sanctioned some of this because he was protecting them on their path to Jesus. But God also taught them in much of their history to love the neighbor, to love the outsider. But instead, Israel, the Jewish people Israel, they became bigoted and angry and exclusive over time. To them, a neighbor was someone who looked and acted and believed the same way they did. They thought they were better than all other people in the world, so they mistreated these neighbors. So Jesus comes on the scene and he challenges this idea. He challenges this idea that the Jewish people were better than other people. And so we're going to read a story that captures what Jesus challenges to this idea And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard this story in some variation or another. It's a pretty popular story. But we want to take a look at this to understand what Jesus is trying to teach us through this story. And we're going to be in the book of the Bible in the New Testament called Luke. So if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles available for our hub. Right as you go out these middle doors here, we'd love for you to take one of those with you because we want you to be reading God's word. But you can bring your Bible out, pull up a Bible app. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to be picking up in verse 25. Here's what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to in- inherit eternal life? Now, we're going to stop there. We want to stop right here because we want to see what this guy's doing. He says that the, books, the scripture says he was an expert in law and he stood up to test Jesus. So here's a guy who is not liking what Jesus is saying, right? See, these were religious leaders, people who had studied the Old Testament and they learned about God. And, and so they didn't care for what Jesus was saying about their approach to things, so they decided they wanted to test him. They wanted to see if he could mess him. i up. Mean, honestly, what he was trying to do was he was trying to trick Jesus into giving a bad answer. Check out, check out how Jesus answers him. Picking up in 26, it says, Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So Jesus basically makes this guy answer his own question. This is like your kids asking you a really dumb question. You're like, Well, what do you think the answer is? Can I push my brother off this ceiling, off this roof? Do you think you should? This is how Jesus is doing this, right? He's turning it around on these guys. He was a perfect. He was always doing this kind of stuff. So he says to him, what do you say is written in the law? And he knows this guy knows the answer because what does it say he was, right? An expert in the law. He understood this religion. So this guy quotes two Old Testament teachings. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And I bet at this point, this guy's getting a little irritated. He's like, well, hang on, I asked you a question. Did you turn it around on me? And so he takes it a step further, and the verse says, because he wanted to justify himself. And I think we know what that's like, justifying ourselves, right? We've all done this sometime. We've got an answer we're told to do something, right? And we get get told something, and we want to find a loophole. We want to... slip in something there i mean as a parent i tell my son sam to do something and it's regularly that he says well what if this happens like what if the sky opens up and fire starts raining down like well okay then we're all in trouble like he finds loopholes as a kid it was always my way of going like my parents would say clean your room i'm like well how clean do you want it do you just need the floor clean because i can get that under my bed or you need to do work, right? You've got to work them out. You have to do kids who are in school or in college or even in the workplace. And you say, like, we need to get this thing done. You go, what's the bare minimum I need to do to get by? How can I just get by and, and not fail but just not have to work too hard? We do this. We trying to find a path that's easiest, the easiest way to the end Goal. And these religious people, these religious leaders, they were there teaching people that the way to heaven was through good works and through actions and following rules. So this guy is basically saying, what rules do I need to follow, Jesus? How many of these do I have to stick to? And even better, he's saying, okay, who is my neighbor? Because then I can focus on them and I don't have to waste my time on all these other people. But here's how Jesus answers him, picking up in verse 30. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down to Jerusalem from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by, on the other side so this guy gets attacked and robbed and left for dead basically right and so the first person that comes across him is a priest now you've got to assume that this poor guy who's being attacked was probably a Jewish guy I mean Jesus is telling the story he's coming from Jerusalem to Jericho he's probably a Jewish guy so and this would resonate more with Jesus audience at the time I mean he they would understand this And it would fit the narrative that he's trying to tell them. And so here's this priest who by all purposes should have cared for one of his own, but he doesn't. And why not? Well, Jesus doesn't really give an answer here as like, this is why he did it. But we got to try to speculate about what that means. I mean, maybe this priest was was heading on his way to the synagogue to to, to lead a service. Or or maybe he he was on his way to do a wedding. Maybe he had errands that he needed to run that were related to his job in the Jewish faith. Whatever the reason, he didn't have time to help this guy. He just kept on walking. Maybe he even thought this guy was dead. And in Jewish law, priests in his nature, they weren't even allowed to be around the dead body. So for him, he's like, whoa, I don't know if that guy's dead. And if I go over there and I actually go and figure out that he is, I've better go through all this ritualistic cleaning to get myself back to where I need to be. And I don't really want to deal with that. So either he didn't have time to deal with it or he was so hung up in the rules of his religion that he wouldn't go deal with it. He didn't have time to stop for this guy. Here's the truth. He might have even known him. This may have been someone he saw in the synagogue in the past, someone he had greeted. But remember what he said, being a good neighbor means going deeper than a polite hello. And then comes along a Levite. And a Levite was just, one, just another person who was one step down from a priest. Like, I'm a priest, Nathan's a Levite. <laughs> That's not true. It's the other way, by the way. I answered him. And this guy was a religious follower. And again, he may have known the man who was in this ditch lying for dead. And he walked again on the other side of the road. Didn't stop. Maybe for the same reasons that the priest didn't. He was too busy. He was trying to focus on his task at hand. He didn't have enough energy. He was too caught up in religious rules. Both these guys saw the guy, but they didn't do anything to help him. They were too unconcerned or or too distracted to help him at all. Now, this may seem cruel, and this may seem strange to you. It may confuse you, and you may say to yourself, you're thinking, well, I'd never do that. Are you sure? Are you really sure that you would never do that? Have you ever found yourself so caught up in your own world that seeing your neighbor in need doesn't happen? I mean, you might be so busy with your schoolwork or your sports team, but that you don't have time to reach out to someone who is hurting or depressed. You might be so caught up in an overscheduled life that taking time to help someone who's struggling or, or just broke down on the side of the road and needs assistance would just throw chaos into your day because of your busy schedule. Maybe you're so set on believing your ideas and your theories and your opinions that helping someone who might think a little differently than you just makes you kind of feel sick to even help them at all. Maybe you rejected people because of the poor life choices that they made. And you say things like, well, that's what happens when you live that way. You don't deserve my help. See, just walking by and we let our busy lives and our opinions and thoughts stand in the way of being to a neighbor to those around us is not what Jesus is teaching us to do here. Instead, this is how Jesus finishes the story. We'll pick back up in verse 33. Here's what he says. And we put the word good in front of it every time, right? Try this with a test with someone who was not here this morning. Look at them and say, what is the first word that comes to your mind when I say Samaritan? And they'll probably say good. I mean, we've got a hospital in Cincinnati called Good Samaritan. We have put these two words together. It's part of that word, right? Because this story is so popular. We have a concept of a Samaritan as a person who helps other people. But in reality, for these people that Jesus was telling the story to at the time of, this, of this, in this world, this would not be the case. The word good and Samaritan, they wouldn't go together. Because who were the Samaritans really? Who were they to the Jewish people? They were outcasts, but they weren't simply outcasts. They were despised enemies of the Jews. Samaritans, they were believers in God as well, yet they had different rituals and practices they believed were correct. Additionally, the Samaritans had allowed other races to come into their belief system and influence the way they do things. So they were a mixed race of people. And so the Jews did not like the fact that they had these other nations as a part of it. And and so they did not like each other, and the Jews thought that the Samaritans were corrupted believers who had been led astray and that they they did everything they could to stop the Jews from rebuilding Jerusalem, which had been destroyed in the Old Testament. The Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. And so when the listeners... We're listening to the story that Jesus told. They would have been expected Jesus to make a Jew, the hero. But instead, he picked literally the worst person they could think of to be the hero of this story. And here's the truth. This guy, he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. That story tells us, right? Right? And so we can understand that the place where he was, it wasn't near the Samaritans' home. Take a look at this map here. This is Samaria up here on the, on the top part of That's where Samaria is. Look where Jerusalem and Jericho are. It's at the bottom of Judea. It was nowhere near this guy's home. He was way outside of his station. And yet he finds this guy on the road And he stops and he helps him. And so I think what Jesus is trying to do is make a a point here about who it is that helps us. But he also gives us a little bit of guidance for how we really ought to be caring for our neighbor. And I want to share a few of these with you. The first one is this. He went to him. It said he went to him. See, we're called to go and meet people where they are. He didn't stand on this other ride like, dude, crawl over here to me and I'll help you. That's what we do sometimes. We stand in our yards and we look at our neighbors and we're like, well, they might need some help. Maybe they'll ask me. No, it's Jesus saying, go. Don't wait for your neighbor to need help, even. Go invite yourself over. Go introduce yourself to your neighbor. Go to them. Don't wait. Don't wait for people to ask for help. And then it says he bound up his wounds. Jesus is saying to tend to these wounds of those people that are around us, right? The pain, the depression, the anger, the needs of the people, right? Be willing to assist those people in their troubles. Talk to your friends who seem to be struggling, right? Offer physical assistance to those who are hurting. And then it says he set him on his donkey. I think what Jesus is trying to show us here is that sometimes... We gotta give up our comforts and our pleasures to help other people. I know that sometimes caring for people, a lot of times it's about making us feel good. It is. We wanna make ourselves feel good and feel like we've done something good, so we help people. But sometimes what Jesus is saying is, sometimes it needs to hurt a little bit. Sometimes you gotta get uncomfortable. You gotta get out of your comfort zone. Go serve in a homeless shelter. I get it, people, we're afraid of homeless people. I get it, it's true. We worry about what that means when they come up to us. Where have they been, what are they doing? But they need our love. Go serve in a place that serves and cares for women who are making the choice of life over abortion. Go find a ministry somewhere in inner city Cincinnati to help serve people who need that, people who've been addicted to drugs, people who have dealt with prostitution. Not fun things, but they need our help. It says, and, so, and so he took him to an inn and he cared for him. Again, this is reality. Is he probably went out of his way to take this guy to a place again where he knew no one and he didn't know that he could even trust them, and he still put him up and he took care of this guy. He got off of his path to be there for someone else. And then the last thing it says is he gave money to the innkeeper and set up future payment. See, this guy, he wasn't just generous with his time and with his resources, but he actually said, I'm going to pay for any future money that you need to take and you need to help get this guy where he needs to be. See, we're called to be generous. Nathan talked about that earlier. We're called to be generous with what we're given. And even more, we're called not to leave people in a place with no help. So Jesus concludes this passage, and he concludes this conversation with this religious law expert by asking this question. This is in verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So today I want you to think about it. Think about how you treat people. Are you simply polite to people in your neighborhood or polite to people and just waving and saying hello, but never actually connecting with them in real and powerful ways? See, Jesus calls for us not only to see our neighbor, but to love them in a way that would be radical. Spend time talking to them. Lend a hand to someone who needs, needs it. Pray for your neighbor's both in the moments that you pray during the day, but literally, like, if you have a neighbor who's struggling or you feel, like, led to call, go pray with your neighbor. Being a good neighbor means going deeper than a polite hello. You see, the Good Samaritan story, it's less about the deed that was done and more about the person doing the deed. See, it's two enemies. They came on a road, right? These are two enemies, and yet, one of them put aside his hatred and his biases and he lent a hand to a person who needed help. In the same way, we're called to look past our biases, our preconceived notions, our fears, and reach out to the people in our lives who are like us and to those people who are not anything like us. These may people who believe different things than you do. Maybe be someone who has differing views on sports or on children or on marriage or abortion or politics or vaccines or masks or any of the hundreds and hundreds of topics that we want to fight about on social media. They may look different from you. Their skin may be a different color than yours. They may not live in the same neighborhood you live or make the same amount of money that you do. But Jesus is calling us to love them all the same. Listen, today you may not have a relationship with Jesus. You may be here or watching online and checking us out for the first time, and you're not sure what you think about church. And that's okay. I just want to say welcome. Welcome. Thank you for being here. We want you to know that no matter what you believe, you are welcomed and loved here. We want you to be our neighbor. We want this place to be the neighborhood for you where you feel cared for and supported in both good times and bad. This is what I believe Jesus is talking about. Jesus not only calls us to radical love with our neighbors, but he models for this, this in his life. What you may not think about regularly is that Jesus was, had enemies, Right? These were people who wished him dead, the Jewish religious leaders, the Romans. They wanted him gone. And the reality of Jesus' sacrifice that he made on that cross is that he chose to die even for those people who hated him. He was the Samaritan who even in the face of danger made the sacrifice for all of us. He died on the cross for our sins. And so today, if you haven't accepted Jesus in your life, if you haven't said, Jesus, I believe in you and I believe in this gift that you gave to me, he wants you to know that you can receive that and it's free. Come find me afterwards. Reach out to me. Email me. Just come talk to one of our prayer people out by the hub. We would love to talk to you about what this means. Now, I'm gonna challenge us all today every one of us. First, if you're new around White Oak, I want you to join us for a special program we've got called Discover White Oak. And this is a time where you'll learn about who we are, what we believe, and how we can support you and your family. And so our first session of Discover White Oak, it's coming up in two weeks on September 26th, and it's going to go from 1145 to 1:15. Okay. And so well, this QR code here that we showed you earlier, you can take a picture of that, and when that page comes up that you, that you go to from this code. There's a link there that says Discover White Oak. I want you to click on it. And I want you to sign up and be part of that. You're going to get to meet new people. You're going to get to have fun with us. It's going to be a great time. We would love to see each one of you there. And the second challenge I want to give is for everyone in the room, Right? As you came in today, you were probably handed a sheet, which I was supposed to bring out with me, and I didn't. Um, no, there's nothing on that. And on this, you're going to see a diagram. It's got your house in the middle of it, right? And around it, there's going to be other houses. And sometimes in life, we get in this mode of knowing our neighbors, but not really knowing our neighbors, right? Right? And so you might say hi as you pass them or you wave at them from your car as you pull out of your driveway at 30 miles an hour, right? Honestly, I can admit I'm guilty of this. But remember that big idea, being a, na- a good neighbor means going deeper than a polite hello. Mm-hmm. So today I want to challenge you to just take some time at some point today, sit down with that paper and just fill in who those people are around your house who live in your neighborhood. Write their names down, their spouse's names, their kids' names. Write down everything you know about them. And then this week, take some time to get to know more about one or two of them because I think what you're going to find is you don't know as much as you thought you did. Find out more. Listen, Jesus is calling us to replace the signs that we have in our yards with a new sign that says, I love you. But even further, he's calling it out to live it out in our daily lives and in a way that will impact the lives of people around us. If we don't do this, then we are missing the chance to truly be in relationship with people around us. Even more, this world would become more of a place that is cold and distant and angry and depressed and fractured than it ever has been. See, Jesus calls us to do more than a polite hello. He calls us to reach out to people in a way where we're mending the pains and the distance that this world has created. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and just learn what it means to be a good neighbor. We are so blessed with the sacrifice that Jesus made. And Lord, we just want to be able to do that for other people, to reach out to people and tell them we love them no matter what they believe, no matter what they look like, no matter how they act. Help us to be a neighbor this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.